right. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And uh, today's sermon is entitled, Holding Up the Hands of Fellowship. Holding Up the Hands of Fellowship. Um, There's very few places in the world that you will find good unity. Um, You know as well as I do, if you go into a worldly setting, whether it be your family or friends, uh, it's very hard to find uh, a unifying factor for people. Uh, Especially in this divisive environment that we live in today. People are constantly uh, being dragged around by their own whatever wind of doctrine or ideology that they have, and it's alienated people from others. Um, I think it's come to a point, it's almost come to a precipice in America today. Um, And that's due to the fact that we are not rallying around one common identity, one common goal. And as Christians, I would hope that we could say that we're not like that. I would like to say as Christians, our goal should be someone that our love for each other and our love for Jesus Christ transpires whatever we might feel about inside of us. But it's it's kind of hard, and even in the Christian circles. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of stuff that goes on at home that we have so many things that we've We've come from different type of backgrounds. We come from different type of ideologies. We come from different type of things. But you know what? The thing that should unify us is our Bible. The thing that should unify us is, is our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I told this uh, not too long ago. Up on my wall in my, in my bedroom has, hangs a sign. It says a three-cord, bro, uh, a three-cord braid is not quickly broken or a three-braided cord is not quickly broken. And that, that idea goes to the sense that in your marriage relationship, at least this is what they're trying to illustrate through that sign, is that if you have Jesus Christ, yourself and your wife, all braided together, guess what? It's very hard for it to break apart. And in the same sense as Christians, we need to make sure that our relationship with others should be drawn together by our love for Christ and our love for the for each other. Um, I, I've... This week, my grandmother passed away, and it was sad. Um, I I sometimes, uh, she was the sweetest lady. Barbara, you had loved her. Uh, Margaret Teasdale was her name. She was 95 years old. And I was talking to my brother and my sister. I says, can you imagine that? Brother, can you imagine living to be 95? Can you imagine the majority of her friends are gone? You know, uh, her, her, her husband died when she was 57. So she's been on her own for 30 plus years. Uh, she's had her family. And, and, you know, I think about that and I think how great God has been to me as a, a person in the church. And it doesn't matter how old you get, you always have a loving group here that love you. And we care about you. We want the best for you. And so I, I'm going to talk about this idea of holding up hands in fellowship. In Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8, we read about Moses. And what was Moses doing? He was leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, which is also in the worldly sense, uh, or from the comparative sense, it's a worldly place. It's a place that literally uh, we can, uh, the Bible can kind of um, compare it to the world today. Egypt was the, city, uh, the universe center. It had basically all of the trappings of the world. And Moses was leading them out of that land. 
And I find it interesting, even as a Christian, when you start, when you get saved and you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what? You're going to face problems. It is not the easiest road to go on. And as, as the Israelites started to find out, as they were leaving the land of Egypt, they were coming across and they had to fight the Amalekites. Amalek, uh, Amalek, uh, and it's fine here in verse 8, it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. In verse 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass in verse 11, when Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands and one of the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name Jehovah Nissi. And for he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I read this and I thought, Boy, these Israelites, they really had some struggles. Oh, almost forgot to pray. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just want to again thank you for your goodness to me. I want to again express, Lord, how uh, I feel about your loving kindness to me as a Christian. Lord, I don't deserve it. I am definitely a sinner saved by your grace. Lord, I know in my heart I am nothing but uh, the chiefest of sinners, as Paul said. I have uh, nothing to be proud about. I have nothing to glory in except what you've done for me. So, Heavenly Father, just be with me today as I preach. Lord, may your hand of mercy be upon the hearers. And, Lord, may your hand of mercy be upon me as I speak. May grace work in the hearts of the believers here. Lord, if there's someone that's not saved, doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, they would hear the gospel message and be saved. May the Holy Spirit convict. In Jesus' name, amen. I find here that Moses had a really hard job. How many's ever had a really hard job you don't want to do? When I was a kid, I had the job of doing dishes. Now, I, I don't know who I was telling about this the other day. Uh, my mom, she really believed in us doing our chores completely. Now, my wife, she's such a sweet, she's not in here right now. She's such a sweetheart. These kids get it so easy. Uh, she does the dishes for them. Their job is to do dishes, and she does the dishes for them all day long. And the only dishes they have to worry about is the dishes that are at the very end of the day. My mother, she never thought that way. She always believed if you were going to do dishes, it was going to be from breakfast all the way till dinner. And she would not touch a dish <laughs> until... Now, granted, she did work a job as a nurse, so she was also providing for the family. But she would not touch a dish until breakfast. So if you had eggs in the morning and there was... Uh, you know how it gets when the pan gets the uh, scrambled eggs on top and it's just caked on there. It would sit there all day long and would harden and it would just be really bad. And I remember as a young person, we'd come home and there would be this mound of dishes. And I remember having to, oh. I kind of wonder if Moses had that same spirit. 
You notice that Moses, when God called him out of the land, and he says, hey, you're going to lead the children of Israel, he had about a hundred excuses. He had to deal. He knew who the Jewish people were. He had a Jewish mama. And he knew how they would react. And when they were pushed or pulled or prodded to do something, they would meet with resistance. And here's Moses before God. And God has given him a job to lead one million plus people out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine as he's been giving this daunting task of being able to lead all these people out, what was going through his brain? I can't imagine as he came across the first response to him, as he came up to those people and said, hey, God has given me the job to lead you out of the land of Egypt into a land of promise. He probably thought he would hear a cheering. Ah! Right? What did they get instead? What? You? I don't believe it. Right? Aren't you that Egyptian? Weren't you the guy that was in the Egyptian house that killed that slave? Huh? One of our, our killed that Egyptian taskmaster? Didn't you do that? They had no belief in Moses. And Moses had right to, rightly to be concerned when he was what? Being inundated by this type of philosophy. He knew that he would have some pushback. He had to make some strong decisions. And he would make others mad. But it didn't stop him from pressing forward. I'm so thankful for my grandmother. I was reading some of the stories about her hardships as she went through life. And uh, my grandpa was literally a sharecropper. He was supposed to do all the work. He was given land and he was supposed to do all the work. But he only got 50% 50 of the profits. They were poor people. She grew up in the Depression. My, my grandfather was an uh, alcoholic, you might say. He, uh, my great-grandfather, he was constantly, and praise God, he got saved later on in life. But, you know, he was constantly drinking, and so they never had money. She grew up through the Depression. And then the Depression hit. What happened after the Depression? Then World War II hit. She went through all of that. And then she married my grandfather, who didn't have a lot of money. He was a sharecropper. And they just made do with what they had. Then my grandfather got sick with Parkinson's. And basically left my grandmother with no source of income. So she went back to school and became an LPN nurse. In her later years, the 50s, she couldn't even hear. She got the state to give her some type of hearing aid. And she was able to go through college. And she was able to go back and feed her family through being a nurse. I think about the hardness that she went through. And I think about what she had to deal with. You know what? That's missing in today's generation. The Bible tells us to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man, what? Warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Listen, as a Christian, we have been given a responsibility to move forward. Maybe you're here today and you're new to this idea of being a Christian. You say, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. You keep talking about being a Christian. and, and be, How does one become a Christian? Well, it starts with your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It starts in a belief that Jesus Christ, that your sin is sin and, and you see God, your sin as God sees it. And when you see your sin as God sees it, you turn your back on it, you turn to Jesus Christ because you know that He is the what? The truth, the life, the truth and the way, isn't He? 
And as I think about this Moses dealing with the situation, I realize that he was not a man that was a sissy. He had some hardness in his bones. He had some encouragement. But even in all those things that Moses was, he was a man's man. He was a man that worked hard. He was a man that provided. But even in all of that, Moses needed something to help him go. What do you think that was? Oh, I believe so. But you know what? God gives us something else. He gives us friends. He gives us his family. Okay? There is no such thing out here, and then my dad, I'll take a phrase from my father, as a Lone Ranger Christian. You know, you guys remember it from 1960 and 67s and, and 70s. They played on, uh, I don't know what channel it was, was the Lone Ranger! And his what? His faithful sidekick, Tonto. Right? And every time you'd see him, it was just the Lone Ranger! And he'd come in there and he'd save the day and he'd get the bad guys. He'd wrap them up and put them away, right? Nobody else needed his help, maybe a little bit from Tonto. But he was really a serious guy. Listen, in the Christian walk, there is no Lone Ranger Christian. You have a responsibility before God to be faithful to his house. You have a responsibility before God to be faithful to the others in this church. Listen, you say, Brother Harold, it doesn't matter if I live in sin or not. Nobody cares. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Everybody in here that's a Christian loves you and cares about you. Everybody sees you wander off from the path. Guess what? We see you and care about you. We want more for you. You say, Brother Harold, I struggle with sin day in and day out. Come talk to us. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. But listen to me, if you never see the importance of your family here at, at Garfield Ridge Baptist Church, let me stress that importance today. There is no better place to be than Garfield Ridge Baptist Church. You know why? Because God has what? He has given us the church for a reason. The church is a place where you can find comfort. The church is a place where you can find rest. I know there's some people in here that said they'd even like to just come a, a little bit and just come in here and pray. You know what? It's not the building, it's what? It's the people. God has given you these people for a reason. Every person that walks through the door, we pray for this morning. We love you. We want the best for you. My dad, I tell you what, there's no better prayer war than my father was. That man would get up here at 5 in the morning, he'd be leaving the house and and he'd get here in the office and he would spend time praying for each person here. And I'm hoping to carry on that tradition of praying and being faithful to thinking about you folks. You think your pastor doesn't think about you? You're wrong. Every day he gets up, he thinks about you. He thinks about on his way to work. He prays on his way to work. He's got a two and a half hour ride to some places. And he'll get there and he'll just take his hat off and he'll spend time praying for each person here. Why? Because I don't want Satan to destroy you. I don't want Satan to ravage you. I don't want Satan to thresh you as wheat, as the Bible says. I want you to be successful in your Christian walk. I want you to see good, happy families. I want you to see have a good, happy, happy home. Because I know what Satan does and I also know who Jesus Christ is. And I know he wants the best for you. Listen to me. As Christians, we need friends. We need support. 
Nobody can walk around and not have the support of their family. Nobody can rock around. I'm a little Nolan. That's your little Asher back there. Thank you. So good to see him. That's Bart. Granny B's. Just can't you see? She's got the mask on, but she is beaming with pride. She could be. You could turn the lights on. And she would be lighting up the room. But I tell you what. She, her little her little grandbaby back there, Asher. He's such a sweet little boy, and I'm sure his mama loves him very much. I see little Tony back there. My little Nolan, you see him today, you know, pray for him. He's got five little mamas, and they just think that he's another doll. And they're constantly dressing him up, so pray for him. Um, but you know what? He came in this morning, he got that little bow tie on. Oh, he's so cute. You look at those little boys and those little girls. and or, Where's Luna at? Oh, she's not in here. Little Luna, boy, she's just cute as a button. I'll tell you what. If you didn't have mommies and daddies, if you didn't have brothers and sisters, I'll tell you this much, you'd have a little bit of trouble getting along in this world, wouldn't you? I think about Nolan, how many times he's bonked his head since he started to walk. I'm sure Tony's done that too, you know, when he first started to walk. Who was there to help him up after he had the first big calamity of a fall? Mama, right? Marissa, come pick him up. Mm, oh, it's okay, Tony, right? Eric, come up. Mm, it's okay. Asher, is he, is he crawling yet? Almost. It's getting to that point. He'll be he'll be steadying himself. Is he right? Uh, your little girls, they steady themselves. You know what? They oh, they fall down, they hit their head. Guess what? They have mommy and daddy to come pick them up. In my case, they have three five little mommies to come pick them up. And I look at that and I say, Boy, how what a great illustration is that for Christians. You need a family. You need someone to love on you. You need someone to care for you. And it was no different in Moses' case. Moses needed helpers. Moses needed support. I'm thankful for everyone in here. But you know what? It's a blessing when people go out of their way to be of what? A blessing to others in the church. Not just to me, but boy, I tell you what, I get excited when I see someone say, you know what? That person has a need. And what do they do? They go out and help them with that need. That's a blessing. I heard today of one person coming out there and helping another Christian in our church. That's exciting. I know I'm not trying to uh, call Brother Monterosa, but boy, he's come out there and helped me. He helped, helped me so much, he put up a fan in my house. I don't know, it's been what, seven, eight years ago? Still working. Praise God. Praise God. Because it would not be in, the, in my house because I wouldn't have put it up. Now, I've learned a lot since then. I can do a lot of my electrical work. But praise God for Brother Lewis coming out there and helping me. And I try to, hey, Brother, let me just give you some money. No, 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 no. I try to, rich is hard. Come on, just take them. No, I don't want any of that. I tease him now about that. But you know what? I'm thankful for people that do those things. Why? Because it shows that there is someone that loves each other. And that's the way we should be. We should be what? People drawn to each other. The Bible says, look not upon things of your own things, but what? Upon the things of others. Your goal is not about yourself. And boy, we get drawn into ourselves. I tell you what, sometimes I've been, uh, been trying to do some intermittent fasting lately. And my belly, it has... A very strong call. When it's supper time, it says, Harold, feed me. And it doesn't start out just like this. It goes, Harold, feed me. An hour goes by and it goes, Harold, feed me. And if 
I don't do it even then, oh my goodness, watch out. You would think the whole world's falling down. And you know what? I think about that and I think about how much we are what? Drawn to our own needs and what we want and how we want to be uh, provided for. But listen to me. Sometimes what we need to do as Christians is to think of others. I look at Moses here and here he is. He's been given the responsibility to lead the children of Israel out of the land of the Egyptians. And here he's given this responsibility and he's been put on the weight of the world on his, hand, on his shoulders. And as he's standing there and he's with the Amalekites, he says, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to lift up your hands. Did your dad ever do that to you, Ronnie? We used to have these kids. Forgive me if I'm wrong, Brother Sam. Uh, but uh, in the Hispanic world, Brother Lana could probably help me with this. Hispanic world, there was these kids that used to pick up for the bus. And I don't know if they do this in Mexico or where it's at. But these kids would have to stand there with the book, like a dictionary over their head, for like a whole hour. Is that, that, your parents ever do that to you? No, these kids, they're in Michigan, so maybe it's not a traditional thing in the Hispanic, but he had to stand there, kid, for a whole hour. You know what happens after you stand there for a few hours with a dictionary over your head? It gets tired. It gets a little tired. I can't imagine Moses, this guy was old. You know, when he came out of the wilderness, how old was he? He was, well, he could have been even older, right? I think he was like 80 years old. And here's this man, this old man holding up his hands. And as soon as the hands would go down, the Malachites would win. But when he kept his hands up, what? Israelites win, didn't he? Listen to me. Moses had a responsibility and he needed someone. And what happened? Along comes her. Who was her? Her was literally the son of Joshua or Caleb. Yeah, no, Joshua. And Caleb come along. What do they do? They pick up his hands and they say, here, let me help you. Let me encourage you. Hey, you can't handle this on your own. Let me be here for you. As Moses did that, and guess what? The children of Israel were able to win. So I've taken some points, and I'll be quick. But I've taken some points, and I want you to kind of uh, 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 leg your point where you should be. First of all, Moses found his ability to lead much easier when he had supporting friends. Number one, a supporting friend is not a yes man. Today's society says you need to agree with me to love me, don't you? No. Some of my best friends in this world have told me I was wrong. And they tell me I was wrong more than once. Boy, it's never fun when you have to deal with someone like that. I am not by nature a, fun, a person who loves confrontation. Maybe you are. But I don't like to confront people about things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when I get bad service, I will confront you. You give me a hamburger that's less than what it should be, watch out. You're going to have the wrath of Harold. But listen to me. In my church, I love you very much. There's nothing I would... The, probably the least thing from being a pastor is having to deal with confrontation. And there's sometimes you have to do it. You have to draw someone aside and say, Hey, look, brother, sister in Christ, I need your help on this. There's something that's going on in your life you need to take care of. 
And listen to me, as a Christian, I'm not supposed to be. The Bible's turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. We're going to be quite a bit in these first, this first point here, but it's important. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6 tells us what kind of a friend is. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'm curious if when the Lord wrote that, used David to write that down, if he was thinking of the future. What happened to Jesus? How was he acknowledged? Judas, didn't he? And what did Judas do? Right? There's nothing more intimate than a kiss. And girls, they see daddy and mommy kiss you. They want to come home and give dad a kiss, big old wet one on dad's cheek. Boy, I love that. There's nothing more intimate than a kiss. It's a very public display, isn't it? It really says something that you really love that person. It's a very closeness. And I think that's exactly what the Bible's trying to get across here. Listen to me. You can have people that are telling you exactly what you want to hear all day long. There's preachers today that'll get up and they'll preach flowery messages. Lovely messages. Ones that you walk away with and you have a, such a, a warm feeling inside. But really, what is it? It's the kisses of an enemy, isn't it? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes we need folks to be able to give us a little bit of a wound. I'm not saying stabbing you in the back. I'm saying confronting you in the front. Someone who's willing to tell you that what it is and what needs to be done. Why? Because God's given us friends for a reason. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 27 verse 9. Proverbs 27 verse 9. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. My wife is, how many like essential oils? Is there anybody else here that likes essential oils? How many use essential oils? Okay, good. I got a couple people. My wife, she is a essential oil queen. You ask her about anything, she can give you a... I, asked, I used to ask her, I said, do you have oil that helps people get saved? <laughs> she kind of looks at me with this disdain look. But you know what? She is the oil queen, and you know what? There are some oils that just, oh my goodness, they just what? They kind of come up there and it just smell good. How many like pep the smell of peppermint? I love the smell of peppermint. And my wife was telling me that lavender helps people relax. And so she'll, she'll put on these little, you know, she's, I, I'm sorry, she is a hippie, okay? Please forgive her for this, but she puts on the diffuser and we got oil spraying. It smells good! Don't get me wrong, I love it. That lavender does make me feel relaxed. It's funny, sometimes you, you associate a certain smell with a certain period in your life. You ever done that? Every time I smell Pizza Hut pizza, I think of all the years that I delivered pizza. <laughs> Well, it makes me a little hungry just thinking about it right now. Um, but you know what? Those oils, they come up. And, they, and the Bible says what? Your friendship will be just like that, won't it? I'll tell you what. There are some people that you just don't want to see. You see them coming. You say, oh, what? time to go. Why? Because that person is not sweet-smelling savor, is they? are they? 
They're poignant. They're like the smell of a rotten fish. You want nothing to do with them. Why? Because they're just not a friend. The Bible's very clear here. Listen to me. Not a friend is not just a yes man. If you want to be a yes man, guess what? You're not being a good friend. A friend that loves at all times, the Bible says. Not only is a, 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 a supporting friend is not a yes man, they're not a hireling either. What's a hireling? That's right. They're there for money, right? The Bible talks about the hireling, doesn't it? But it also gives you an example in the Old Testament where, uh, I'm sorry, the New Testament of the parable, right? The prodigal son, he goes out and he parties, he has a good time, and what? Everybody loves being around him at that time. What happens when that, that man no longer has money? Guess what? He don't have any friends, does he? A good friend is someone who sticks by you and doesn't care what you have or what you're doing or how important you are. He just loves you for who you are. Tell you, I had a blessing this week. I have a friend who is very, very. Uh, he was in my wedding. He was in. Um, uh, he was a good portion of bringing me and my wife together, and uh, he was a special person. And I always thought, you know, this this guy, I, I wouldn't ask him to do anything for me. And and uh, one yesterday, I called him up, and I had my mom and dad had sprung for a hotel room for me and Cassie, and it was a blessing. But the one thing I couldn't do is that night I would have to get the dog out, and I had nobody nearby to help me out. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a last resort. I gave this guy a call. Now, if you know my dog, some of you have seen him. He's a big boy. He's a He's a pit bull, but he's he's a big baby. I tell you what, he thinks he's a lap dog, and uh, he's a hundred pounds, and he'll he just lick you to death before he take one bite of you. But uh, uh, Maverick is just a, he's just a big baby. And I told him, I says, uh, brother, I says, you know, I need someone to let my dog out. And he says, uh, and this is on a Saturday afternoon. I'm sure he was busy, but you know what? He dropped all he did he could. He did ask me if the dog was going to eat him. And I said, no, don't worry about it. He'll lick you to death before he takes a bite of you. And so he goes over there and he lets my dog out. Well, I tell you what, that meant the world to me. That was someone who really says, you know what? Harold's my friend. I'm going to take care of him. And I would say we probably do the same thing for you folks. I shouldn't say probably for sure do those things for you folks. God wants us to realize that we need a what? A person who's going to be there whether through what? Sickness, through health, through what? hardships through rich or poor listen to me we're here in it together as christians number three not only is a person who is a supporting friend not a hireling but they're also someone that's constant constant turn your bibles to proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 it kind of goes along with the idea of a hireling but listen to me this kind of uh, spoke to me The Bible says a friend, it's a good verse to memorize if you don't have it. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for what? Adversity. How many have brothers in here? All right, got quite a few. Uh, How many fought with your brother? Oh, man, if you didn't raise your hand, then you didn't have a brother, okay? Brothers, that's what they're made for according to the Bible, right? They are made to adverse. Since I was a little kid, I remember when I was a little boy. Uh, I don't remember, but my mom tells me stories. 
when I was first born, and, and uh, of course we were looking through pictures this weekend at my grandma's funeral, and, and I was here this chubby, you look at Nolan and you probably see me, okay? That's probably what I look like as a baby. Just a cute little baby. My brother come along and he says, oh, this guy's taking in on some of my action here, so you know what? We're going to take care of that. He come along and we had, you know, those swings, and back in the day they were metal, right? My brother, he'd come along, he'd just swing that thing. Whoo! I'd be going, <gasps> every time he'd come back. You know what's that's funny? Because my brother, all my life, he was born for adversity, wasn't he? He really helped me on some things. He knocked me around a few times. But you know what? There was somebody else out there that would always have my back, and that was my brother. He, yeah, he gave me, he gave me some tough love sometimes. I remember one time we were wrestling together, and me and my brother, all of our lives, we were only 22 months apart. And if you look at my brother, he does look a little bit like me. And, and uh, we were about the same weight. I was always a little bit heavier. He was always a little bit lighter. And we would wrestle. I remember, boy, that week, that week we were supposed to be wrestling and doing our best. But you know what? It wasn't about doing our best. It was about who could hurt the other person the worst. <laughs> I remember that wrestling practice. It was over Christmas break, and I remember my brother coming along, and, and he, would get a, he would get a move out, and we had to practice our move, and we would just crank, and we would wrench, and we would do everything. And, Ow! Stop it! Then it came my turn, because I had to practice it five times, too. So I'd come on, you know. Before we got long, my brother would, he would, it's funny, because we are unaware of anybody watching this. And then the coach's assistant's over there just kind of watching and boy, he thought we were really doing well. <laughs> we got to the end of the practice, and of course, at the end of the practice, you had to run 10, 15, 20 sprints, and, and uh, Coach Wright gets up and he says, I want to say something. Uh, Brother Sam over here, he, uh, he says, uh, there was two guys that were just putting their heart and soul into this wrestling practice. And I'm going to tell you, Andrew and Harold Teasdale, you guys don't have to run these sprints. And I thought, wow, this worked out great. I'm about to fight with my brother a little bit more. But you know what? As a Christian, you realize one thing. There's somebody that's going to love you like your brother. Yeah, he's going to give you some tough love. Yeah, he's going to give you some hardship in your life. Why? Because he wants to toughen you up. But he loves you. There's nothing that my brother wouldn't do for me. And I would, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for my brother. Because we're from the same family. And listen to me, you Christians in here, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's nothing that you shouldn't do for your brother. You should love them. You should go through hell to help them out. Paul literally said that, wouldn't he? He says, I would rather die and go through hell than my brothers would have to go through it. Listen to me, as Christians, our goal and our responsibility should be is to love each other and do good for each other and encourage each other. Why? Because God's given us that responsibility. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. Not only is a friend constant. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. A supporter friend is faithful. Kind of goes along with the constant, but it kind of defines it a little bit better. A man that hath friends must show himself what? And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a what? Brother. I'm, where's my, Chloe's not up here. She's downstairs. I have four extroverts and one introvert in my family. 
Chloe is the sweetest little girl you ever meet, but she is not outgoing. From day one, Brooklyn, she's up here, she, she's going to laugh. Brooklyn has always been the kid that could find a friend in five seconds. We went to a new church one time, and, and I come home, and, and I said, how'd your day go in at, uh, at the Bible Explorers? Or it was uh, King's Kids. And I said, how'd it go with King's Kids? And she looks over, and she says, yep. She says, uh, she goes, I don't know, Dad. She's like, I met a couple people, but I don't remember their names. Then I asked Brooklyn, Brooklyn, how'd it go? I got ten new friends, Dad. This is great. I love it. You know what? I had to teach my daughter. Hey, look, Chloe, you gotta, you just gotta go out. You gotta get out of yourself. Get out of your shell. Talk to a few people. Love on them a little bit. She takes after my wife. My wife, you wouldn't see it today, but man, my wife was a very much an introvert. She didn't like talking to people. Now you see her today. She has a good time talking to folks. Listen to me. The Bible says that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Well, how do you show yourself friendly? Wyatt, how do you show yourself friendly? Okay, outgoing. But friendliness starts... Go ahead, Sam. Smile. Flash those pearly whites. Okay. I think it goes up a step further than that, Brother Sam. Someone that's friendly, what? They go out of their way. Friendliness doesn't start with what can you get me. Friendliness starts with how can I help you. The Bible tells us very clearly that we need to what? Think about others. And uh, my dad used to say, Jesus others you. But as a Christian, our responsibility in this church is to what? Love others. Be friendly. I love it. And I tell you this a zillion times. I'll tell you it a zillion times more. The best sign of a good church is a church where people just love to talk to each other. I just love it when we get together and we have a fellowship and people are just talking and carrying on. Why? Because it says something about the people in the church. They love each other. You see a church where they scatter as soon as church is out. They never talk to each other again. I don't get to see you folks but one day a week, sometimes twice a week. And boy, I tell you what, it's, it's a blessing. I love seeing you. We get together. We have good times. We fellowship. We talk to each other. Friendliness is important. And then it goes on that last part. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Listen to me. You that have had brothers, and maybe it goes along with sisterhood too. I don't know how it works with sisters. I know I had a sister and we fought like cats and dogs. But you know what? We love each other. It's a family. It's important. All right. Letter E. A supporting friend has your best at heart. Turn to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. We're going to use this twice. A supporting friend has your best at heart. I'm going to start off by saying, iron, what? Sharpeneth iron. Now you say, what does that mean, Pastor? What are you talking about? As a kid, we had a set of, how many know Chicago cutlery? They're... They're made in Chicago. I'm probably made in China now, but they're called Chicago cutlery. And back then, they had this nice wooden handle. My parents would have this other thing. It was a big, long iron bar. And I can still remember to this day, before Dad would cut something, he would take that iron bar and he would shh, 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 kind of strap it. Shh, shh, shh. And you know what happened after a long enough? That thing was razor sharp. 
God has given you something in your heart. It's called the Holy Spirit. And He's given your friends the Holy Spirit. And when God gives you both the Holy Spirit and, and God allows the Holy Spirit to work in both of your hearts and you keep working with someone and working with someone and they keep working with you and working with you, eventually it's going to happen. You're going to be one sharp Christian. You're going to rub off on each other. But the opposite is so. If you take, if you cut down trees, Brother Rolando was out there working on trees with me the other day. What happens, Rolando, when you get a a nice chainsaw blade and it gets stuck in the dirt. What happens to it? It doesn't work well, does it? It gets what? Dull. If you get that chainsaw all stuck in the dirt, and that's why you got to be careful. It doesn't hit the dirt when you're cutting. Why? It'll dull that blade really bad. And listen to me. If your friend and you hang around them and all they do is deride you from the will of God, listen to me. You don't have a friend. You have an enemy. Take time to assess your friendships and say, are they of God or are they of the world? Are they of God or are they of something else? Friends are important. Not only is supporting a friend the thing that's best at your heart, but it's also re reciprocal. What do I mean? I mean, it should go back and forth, right? It should be something that your friend gives to you and you give it back. Why? Because you love them just as equally as they love you. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. It doesn't just say iron. There's two sides of that, isn't there? It says, so the man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We've got three more points. Secondly, so the first part was Moses found ability to lead much easier when he had supporting friends. But secondly, Moses was able to accomplish God's will because of the advice and friends of his friends and family. Turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13. came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? Even, and Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they say, I have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and do make them know the statutes of God and his, his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou shouldest doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away be both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel, and God will be with thee. Be thou for thy people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the good causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and work, and they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, uh, hating co covetousness, and place over such them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Moses's what? Responsibility was to his father-in-law, and it was his friend, it was his family, and he listened to his father-in-law. Now, we've had deacons. How many know the deacons of our church? Give me one of them, Andrew. Brother Oscar, who's the other one? Chloe? Brother Glenn. What is their responsibilities? 
Brother Sam, what's their responsibilities? Okay. What was the original reason for deacons? Anybody know? I mean, you guys already answered questions. Anybody? I asked the deacon. Yes. Right. Pray and read his Bible and be faithful to the Word of God, right? That was the reason for it. I would like to say this is probably pretty close to what a deacon would have been in the Old Testament if there was such a thing. But here we find what? There was a sense of understanding by Moses. And listen, as a, as a pastor, some of the things that I deal with are not always pleasant. I think sometimes uh, people are uh, misunderstanding what a pastor's job is to be. But one of those things is I'm thankful for people like Brother Oscar and Brother Glenn who take up responsibilities that the pastor just can't handle. And I want to tell you something. Moses had that understanding. His father-in-law, some of the advice that was given to him of his family and his friends helped him to be able to enable him to keep moving forward with the things that God's given him to do. Listen, I'm not saying that everybody in here has to be a deacon. But what I am saying is, is that everybody in here should be what? Looking out for everybody else. It's not just the pastor's job. I don't know everything and everything, everybody is going on in their lives. I try. I really do. I ask. I talk to people. I try to understand what's going on in the church. If someone has a need, I try to ask others. If, I, if that person hasn't told me, I'll talk to them. My goal is to find out. But if there's a problem, you know, you see a need, what? Fill a need. Shouldn't stop just at pastors. Shouldn't stop just at the deacons. It should be people who are willing to go out of their way and help others. Is there people in this church that have needs? Yes, there are. There are people here that have serious needs. The question is, are you willing to help them? Moses had Jethro come along and he gave him some understanding and he found some men who were willing to take up responsibility. Remember, there was a million people that Moses had to deal with. I can't imagine what that was like. I have five girls and that's enough for me. But you know what? Moses had a million people. A million people that needed things judged. And what happened? He found some way to be able to take care of the people of God. We should not stop just at what the pastor knows or what the pastor can say or what the pastor can provide. It should be that people in the church... And Praise God. I'm thankful. Some of you folks have just impressed me beyond my wildest imaginations. You do a great job. Some of you go out of your way. I, I don't even have to ask. And I find someone doing something special for someone else in the church. I love that. That's great. Let's keep doing that. Not only was Moses able to accomplish more because of God's will, because of his advice and the help of his friends and family, but when Moses was at his weakest, number three, his friends helped and encouraged him by being his strength. You think about that for a second. You know, every day we deal with people who are coming to church and we don't know what their week is like. We don't know. You know what's the first word that pastor asks when he comes out? How was your week? Why do I ask? You think I'm just doing filler words, Andrew? And just, how's your week? And then all of a sudden it goes out one ear and out the other. No, I'm curious. I am really curious. How's your week been? What are you doing? I'm not just a conversationalist. I'm not just trying to bring in some small talk. I really want to know what's going on. How can your pastor pray? How can he help? How can he provide? If you're not telling them. 
And listen to me, just as we look at this here, his friends came up and they helped to encourage him. And you know what? You, your pastor and your deacons and your people in this church, when they ask you for things, they're not just asking because they just want to be this, uh, conversationalist. They're asking because they love you and they want to help you. Don't withdraw. Don't withdraw. Don't be so proud and say, I don't need help. We all need help. I'll tell people all the time. Brother Till is not in here, but I'll tell him. He'll tell me something. I said, Brother, pray for me on this. Sam, have I asked you to pray for some things in my life? Yeah. I need help. Pastor's not perfect. He struggles with things. He needs help with things. He loves people and he wants to be able to help them, but he's limited. Listen to me. Don't stop in trying to help others. Don't let just pastor be that. You be that. Number four. When Moses had no one to encourage him, bad things happened. I'll repeat that again. Number four. When Moses had no one to encourage him, bad things happened. Brother Ronnie's down here. And I think about him. He's had a long history with pastor. Not, not in the last few years. Well, for the last few years we've known each other. It's been a couple of years now. Two or three years. We were younger. And you know what? He comes to me about things, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. And I want to help Ronnie as much as possible. I see Sam, and I see some of the things that he's going through. He comes to me about I'm thankful for that. And you know what? I'm there because my goal is to help you succeed. My goal as a pastor is to what? Grow you spiritually. You might call me a farmer. I just don't deal with dirt. All right? I just deal with the water. Amen? Amen. The Word of God. All right? I'm doing a little planting, a little watering, and God does the growing. That's right. I'm your, I'm your spiritual farmer. Okay? Here are my plants. My dad would like that illustration. But you know what? As a, as a, as a pastor, sometimes I see people who think that they don't need help. They really don't. God has given Moses, and you turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 7. Moses was given a unique responsibility. He was given very unique responsibility. And his responsibility was to lead the children of Israel, not just lead the children of Israel, but to encourage them to do God's will. Moses was the one that was on the Mount Sinai, and he came down off of it. What did he have, Andrew? Ten Commandments, right? And what happened after he got the Ten Commandments? He got mad, right? You'll see your pastor get mad sometimes. Uh, I try not to display my flesh that much, but boy, I tell you what, Satan can get to me just like he can get to you. And boy, I see someone that's just not doing right, and boy, my, my spirit gets a little bit agitated. Nah, my wife probably knows it more than anybody. She takes the brunt of it. But you know what? As a Christian, listen to me. We each need support. And Moses had the same need. Numbers chapter 20, verse 7. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron and thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. What does it say? What does it say? What is he supposed to do to the rock? Speak ye. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shall give the congregation their and their beasts drink. Okay, so what was the job? His job was what? Speak. 
verse 9, Moses took the rod before, from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered together, <laughs> the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. <laughs> I love it. I can just imagine him. He's got it going, right? Woo! He's about ready to have a five-alarm fire right there. Hear now, ye rebels! Right? Can you see him just, hey, your mom, he call you by three names, all three, your first, your middle, and your last. You've never done that, have you, Kim? No? What's Esther's middle name? Esther Inches! I kind of feel that, I can kind of feel like Esther doing that, right? Or Moses doing that, right? Ye rebels! Right? He's excited. What does he say? Must ye we fetch you water out of this rock? And the Bible says in verse 11, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. What happened? He got carried away, didn't he? He got his flesh all up, up in a, on a whiny pitch. And before long, he was being disobedient to the will of God. Told, There's some people in here. I tell him, I says, you're a blessing to pastor. You're a blessing. Pastoring has just made so much easier. But you know what? There are some folks that, boy, you just you just hurt hurt your pastor's heart all the time. Listen, your pastor needs help. You can be an encouragement or you can be a what? You can be a disgrace. You can help or you can hinder the ministry. It just depends on what you want to do. I think everybody needs a little encouragement. I think Moses needed a little encouragement. He needed Joshua, and he needed Caleb, and he needed the son of Hur. He, need, he needed all these men to come along and say, Hey, brother, brother, slow down. Let me help you. My wife the other day, she cracks me up. She's got jobs that she doesn't like to do, and I don't like to do them. And it was taking down the pool. It's a seasonal job. I and my, my father and I put it up, which is always exciting because the kids can't wait to get it up. But nobody wants to take it back down. Because guess what? Usually at the end of the season, we haven't swam. And so there's little green, green floaties in the pool. And so we're out there. And, and I could see it. I just came home. I don't know what I was doing. I could just came home and I could just see it. I could see, You know how it is. You, you folks that have a wife. And I could just see her temper starting to get like right here. And just started going. Have you ever seen those cartoons where the where the temperature gauge blows off the head? And it's like. Bruh! And my wife, she was just had enough. My daughter had. Everybody was out there working, and one of my daughters decided to go in and take a shower. When everybody's supposed to be working, she goes and takes a shower. My wife just, oh my goodness, what is wrong with? Her? I saw that, and I said, you know what? Let me help her. Let me help her. Honey, go and take a break. Take a break. <laughs> You've had enough. Let me let me have a little bit of this. Let me take a little piece of your pie. So I take a little piece of her pie and let her go inside, let her cool down a little bit. She comes back out, refreshed, happy, smile on her face, loving. Why? Because one person says, I know when they've had enough. I know when they've been beat a little bit. I need to help them. Listen, your government officials, they're going through it. Your people that are in the community, they're going through it. Your family, 
You see someone that has a need, and just like I gave you an example, you see that they're having a problem. You help them. Encourage them. Your pastor! Believe it or not, he needs encouragement. He needs help. He needs someone to hold up his hands. Listen to me. You can be one of the biggest blessings, or you can be one of the biggest hindrances to your church. It's up to you. Hold up some hands. Let's stand together.